Okay, um, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the 19th Element Town Hall, our last for 2020. Today's topic is entrepreneurialism. No, my name is not Scott Durkin. <laughs> my name is Stephen Larkin, and I'm here as moderator because we asked Scott to be a guest, along with our executive chairman, Howard Lorber, Susan DeFranza, the president and CEO of Douglas Element Development Marketing, and from London, our good friend, Patty Dring, who serves as a partner and global head of prime sales for Knight Frank, Douglas Elliman's international partner. Welcome everybody. Um, yeah, so uh, I think it's fair to say that one of the greatest assets we have here at Element is our executive leadership, all of whom have built incredible careers in real estate. In the next hour, we get to go inside their entrepreneurial minds. We are a brokerage with a culture defined by entrepreneurialism with agents and staff always on the cutting edge of salesmanship, technology, marketing, training, and communications. And across the country, that entrepreneurial spirit is producing tremendous results. And I just wanna go over some stats from some of our regions. Um, in California, excuse me, sales surged quarter after quarter, rebounding quickly from the restraint of the spring market. In Colorado, our dollar volume is close to $700 million uh, versus 309 million in the same time last year. That's a 125% increase. In Florida, home sales in Palm Beach tripled in the third quarter. And in Miami, sales surged 42%. Mm -hmm. Texas saw dollar volume in sales in Houston increase by 46% over last year. And in the Hamptons, um, we've got closed sales at $2.39 billion uh, and rental volume of $1 billion. That's a billion dollars more than last year. Long Island, year to date, agents have closed more than 80% 80% more units than our closest competitor. And in Boston, George and Manny Sarkis achieved a record sale uh, of 150 Woodland for over $23 million. Connecticut and Greenwich, single family and condos, uh, new signed contracts showed gains for more than triple the totals in the same month as last year. And in the Hudson Valley, in Westchester, single family and condos new signed contracts were higher than a year ago levels. And in New York City, uh, September 1st, uh, since September 1st, we've put more than, uh, we've put more properties over $4 million into contract than during the same time as last year. And in Brooklyn, new signed contracts for condos, co-ops and townhouses were well ahead of the same period as last year as well. Howard, welcome. We're having a, a much better, year this year than I think any one of us could have anticipated last spring. So in a nutshell, could you tell us um, how you would describe this past year? Well, uh, thank you, Stephen. Uh, none, of us, none of us could have imagined what happened to us in the first part of this year, uh, you know, from, from February and more into March on. Um, it was devastating uh, to, to many of us, to all of us, and uh, to the businesses. And um, I, while, while I never thought it would be the end of New York City, I did believe it was going to last longer, um, the downturn, than it did. Uh, but as always, New York City sort of sprung back, and uh, we've done quite well. We, we've done better compared to last year's comps. But, but in all fairness, last year, the last quarter, actually about the last five, five months, were sort of slow after the rush to do closings before the year the TED tax came into uh, play at the end of June. So the comps aren't so great, but we are, have done better now um, against uh, those comps in the New York City region. And of course, all the other regions that you talked about, uh, you know, have been, have been amazing. I'd like to say we planned it exactly that way. We knew where we should be in case of a pandemic, but that really wouldn't be the honest answer. Um, we, but what we did do is we picked places where we thought our clients would have multiple homes. And that's what gave us the edge, I think, over many of our competitors. And it truly has worked out for us uh, this year. Yeah. So in a nutshell, um, oh, well, where do you think we're going with the real estate market into 2021? What are your thoughts on that? I, I'm, I'm very bullish. I'm very bullish. You know, you, you never know with the new administration, you know, how it plays out. But um, I'm, I'm pretty bullish. Um, I imagine at some point if they're going to pass a lot of very, you know, uh, high cost uh, bills um, for COVID relief and so forth, which I, I think they should. But I mean, we're going to have inflation at some point. I mean, that's the bad news. The good news is that inflation usually is very kind to real estate. 
Uh, if they could have inflation and keep interest rates low, that'd be the home run of all times because you'd have prices, house prices going up and you'd still be able to buy them with low interest money. And uh, I don't remember when that happened, if it ever happened before. Um, but uh, I think there's a chance of that. And I think people are generally feeling good. Well, we're, we're within uh, probably hours of uh, the approval of uh, a couple of the uh, vaccinations, a couple of the different companies, and then uh, they'll start shipping. I think they're ready to start shipping tomorrow from what I heard. And so I think that, you know, we, we really have a lot to look forward to. And I think uh, when all said and done, I think, and I won't give credit to any person, but I think the country, our country has done a great job of getting ourselves ready to be able to be in this position uh, by by supporting the uh, with money, supporting the uh, drug companies that were working on the vaccinations, and getting the supply chain ready um, to be able to deliver them uh, very quickly. That's very bullish for everyone. Do you think with the vaccine that, especially in New York City, now is the time to buy when we might have some seller negotiability, low interest rates, and the light at the end of the sort of tunnel? Yeah, I think there still is negotiability uh, in New York uh, City, uh, Manhattan. One of the few markets there is, because in all these other markets we talked about, that prices were going up. In fact, you had two things happening. You had velocity up and you had prices up in just about every one of those markets. So um, I think that we still have, there are people still have time to make deals in New York City. Um, in all, in all price ranges, there are deals and in all types of product, co-ops, condos, new development. The developers are uh, more um, flexible than any time that I remember. And Susan, I don't know how, you know, how, how long back you remember, have you seen like this before? But I mean, I think it's, I think they're doing the right thing. And the, and the developers that are flexible, product is selling and we're selling in new developments. So I think it's a good time to buy. 100%, Howard, and that's what we're seeing. We've really seen increased velocity across our portfolio and the projects that are priced properly, that were priced properly pre-pandemic, already were getting traction and now we're selling that much more. So we're very encouraged. I was out at a few of our properties with our agents pitching some new business this week, looking at model apartments. So I have to say for the end of year wrap up right now, we're optimistic, we're hopeful, and we just all wish to embrace 2021. Right. So at Element, we have almost 7,000 agents working across the country who've all worked incredibly hard and creatively throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and, and Howard, what, what qualities did our agent entrepreneurs who did exceptionally well do you share in common? Um, what do they all share in common? Yeah. I think that, and I've said it so many times, there's, there's only really one factor they all have in common. They work like dogs, okay? Mm -hmm. This is not a business that, that, you know, you can make a lot of money not working very hard. But the upside is tremendous if you do work very hard. And they all work. Every top broker is always working. I know it because I get phone calls and texts from them and emails from them in the middle of the night, uh, you know, five o'clock in the morning, because they know I'm up at that time, uh, it, it, never, it never stops. Mm. So we, we know they're working. And, and they're smart enough also when they're having an issue or having a problem, they'll ask for help. And that's a very important thing for an entrepreneur uh, agent to not be embarrassed, just, just ask. And whether it's your manager or it's another broker or it's someone you respect in the industry, you know, everyone has, all these top brokers have a lot of experience by now. And, they're great, great tutors to help other people uh, raise their raise their production levels. Mm -hmm. Scott, did you have any thoughts on? Uh, you work with a lot of agents very closely. What did, have you? Did you notice any sort of common sort of traits or characteristics or, or or things that they did during COVID to really stay on top of their game? Well, I think really smart agents love an opportunity, and and like Susan was saying, with the developers being negotiable, they saw opportunity with sellers being negotiable and so many that are riding were riding the market these agents went after the ones they knew needed to sell or they knew they needed to sell and the brokerage community communicated to each other like just give me anything give me an offer and i think that's what um separated the the 
the, the real top people because the ones that love that love opportunity are the ones that are going to do multiple deals. And we are lucky to have many of those agents at Douglas Elliman and we saw that come through. Right. What I would just, I would just say, uh, add something. I got a call from one of our new agents um, today. Uh, he was formerly a corporate and came to us, I think a couple of days ago. And he said the one thing he noticed the difference um, in, in the getting up to coming and in a couple of days he's been here, he said something like, wow, what's great here is everyone is so entrepreneurial. And he felt that way about the executives, about our employees and about the other agents. And he said he didn't see that where he's been in the past. Yeah. Well, on that topic, sort of looking for things amongst very high achieving people, such as the four of you, I'm just kind of curious, like what does a typical day look like for you starting in the morning? Um, Howard, do you want to start with that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I get up very early. I get up uh, between four and five. And I usually read the papers online. And then I start getting, uh, I start getting texts probably by 5.30, 4 to 6, people know I'm up, or emails. And uh, if it says, call me, I pick up the phone and I call them. Hmm. Um, so that's the way I like to work. And I find those times is generally the best, you can have the best conversation uh, because you're not interrupted. You know, mm -hmm. once you get to 9 o'clock, when I'm having, you know, a conversation with with another agent, so all of a sudden my phone doesn't stop ringing as it just did a couple of minutes ago because huh? I forgot to turn it off. But... It, it, it's 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 such a great time between that five to nine o'clock um, that and 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 generally speaking, you know, when when I when I look at who's calling and I speak to them and I think about it, most of them are I put in the uh, in the category of very high achieving people, and 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 I say that with our management, I say it with our salespeople, they're all you know those people. Have done have done great and achieve a lot. And I'm not saying you have to get up at four or five in the morning to achieve a lot, but I think it gives you sort of a head start. I guess the negative is I fall asleep by eight thirty nine o'clock. You know, so uh, I you know I used to say I used to go out to dinner. I used to say oh, seven thirty eight o'clock. Now now like whenever someone talks about dinner, I say how six. Yes. You know, and during crazy. COVID, it's like five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially in New York, because once it gets dark, it's freezing out. But even in Miami, it was cold for a few days. So you go at 5, 36 o'clock. So I think that um, having that sort of work day is, is good. But they also know, and I think it's very important for these high achieving uh, people, is you do need some time off. And the way, the way that I've done it in the past is I'll work. I'll work, you know, Monday through Thursday. I'll have God knows how many meetings, okay, whatever. And comes Friday, uh, I'm, I'm not working. I shouldn't say I'm not working. I'm not going to the office and I'm not having as many phone calls or, or having meetings. And, you know, it gives you time to recharge yourself by, uh, you know, a Sunday night when everyone starts calling you again Monday. Right. Patty, how about you? Well, well, it's uh, thank you for inviting me on this, by the way, Stephen. And it's great to be with everybody, uh, with Scott, uh, with Howard and Susan, and to see everybody. Not that I can, but just to feel I'm with you guys. Uh, it's been nearly a year since I was with you all, and that's just the most extraordinary feeling. So for me, a routine is important, and I think I think COVID has helped us all really reflect on how we live our lives. And working from home was most extraordinary feeling to to come to terms with but it definitely helped me to establish a, a better routine no travel uh, no getting up at 3 30 in the morning to get on the first six o'clock flight out to out to europe so actually what i do is i get up between 5 30 and 6 howard normally gives me an alarm call about that about that time uh and uh and then try and take some exercise i actually don't turn on my phone to start with they say it's pretty bad for you to open it in the first uh, uh 30 minutes of uh, getting up and then having done, a bit of having done a bit of breakfast, I do like breakfast, can't survive without something to eat. Take the dogs for a bit of a walk uh, and then back at my desk uh, for about 7.30. And then always pretty well every day, 8 a.m. on the phone to my assistant, looking at the day ahead, looking at the projects, where, we, where we're at with them. And then I try and focus, as Howard says, get any calls done before nine o'clock 
because that's your A time. And then nine o'clock into management meetings, uh, mm -hmm. some client meetings, lunch is on the run, inevitably, uh, even when I'm working from home. Mm -hmm. And then in the afternoon, it's back to some clients because I'm still dealing with clients. My role is very much dual. And uh, that's so important in the evenings. Evenings is a challenge, really, because I think, ironically, you don't have the break when you work at home. It's so easy to grab something to eat, go back to your desk, and then find you're still sitting there 8.30, 9 o'clock at night. But that's, again, when I have good calls with um, some of our most entrepreneurial brokers. Uh, and also, I have my calls. When I'm sitting at my desk 8.30 and 9, I realize I'm sleeping already. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Susan, so, how about you? What, is the, what does your typical day look like that... I don't know if there's anything typical, yeah. um, but I, I'm generally up by about 6.30. Um, usually awoken by a few colleagues who like texting very early, and but that's good because as Howard and Patty have said, typically our internal calls catching up with our teams is before 9 a.m. or after 5.30 or 6, like it will be tonight because during the day, we're all on sales or marketing calls or pitches. So we really try to do it before the day starts at nine or after six o'clock. And because we're in LA also, those hours can get extended to various different times. But you know that's the power of our brand and element everywhere. So um, we're, we're all very busy people. And as Howard said, all of our top producers and our incredible team at Douglas Element Development Marketing are incredibly driven, passionate, dedicated, and winners. And winners are always out there fighting and struggling. And the good thing about being number one is you're number one. The challenge is you want to stay number one, you've got to work that much harder. And, and I believe that is the DNA of our company, starting with Howard at the top and with executive management. So I believe we're all very fortunate. Yeah. And Scott? Well, I stopped looking at my calendar for the next day because it, it ruined my evening. Not that it was bad news, but it just would make me think too much. So I think with, with COVID now, it's, it's, we're really working much, much harder and much faster and much longer. So I'm the same with all of these people. I get up at usually 5.30 or 6, and then I have a Zoom workout at 8 a.m., which Susan called in on the other day <laughs> with my trainer. And I never did that before. And I have to say, I prefer it rather than meeting him at you know, going out in the cold New York snow and getting to the gym and just not wanting to do it. Now I really want to do it. So I think, you know, those moments you, you really appreciate when you've got an hour free because you don't have to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. Or if you had an hour free, you couldn't do anything. Yeah. So I think it's changed your life, but you do have to turn it off. And, um, and I do that late at night because like Susan said, at 7 p.m., 8 p.m., the calls from LA come in because they're in the middle of their work day. Yeah. Great. So what I'm hearing is up early, exercise, meditation, and then organize your day like early. It's great. So um, with success uh, comes some failure. And so I'm, I'm just wondering, um, I think a lot of our agents, you know, try and try and try again. Um, I think it'd be interesting for them to hear um, some of your failures or some of your um, maybe mis miscalculations, if you will, that uh, you actually took and learned from and, and, and turned it into a, maybe a future success. Uh, Howard, do you want to start with that? Sure. Well, uh, my first job after college was I was a stockbroker and it was a very bad market. And, you know, you could be the smartest guy in the world, but you can't fight the markets. And I think that's true in a lot of businesses. Um, and the most uh, depressing time was generally around tax time because the clients, in many cases, weren't that sure with it, how much they made or they lost or whatever. But comes April 15th, when they were going to sign their tax returns, all of a sudden, they would see and they would call their broker, like me, and say, I can't believe how much money we lost, you know, and whatever. And that was, you know, it was, it was, it was a very difficult, uh, difficult experience. I, I, I say, if you want to take anything positive about bad markets, and I think it's in any sales job, what I found was that I starting in a bad market when I started, I was able to open a lot of new accounts. Why? Because everyone hated their broker. No one liked their broker. They were all losing money. Now, if I was their broker, I would be losing that money also. But I was a new guy, so I couldn't have lost them any money yet. So I sort of turned the, uh, the uh, bad experience um, into a good experience by you know, building a business in a bad market. 
But ultimately, I ended up leaving because I didn't really, you know, it's, it's hard to enjoy something where you feel like you have no control over it. Because when the market's bad, it's bad. And there's no one person that can make it any better. You could be the greatest salesman in the world. And if you're the greatest salesman, it's even worse because then you're getting people to buy stocks and they're going down. Mm. So, and then you feel bad. So um, I, I think that was sort of a low point. That's why I changed, changed careers. I went into things. Uh, my next job was uh, insurance. Um, life insurance business and there was ne never had a complaint never once did anyone call me and say oh why did you sell me that life insurance whatever we did get a lot of calls from families when someone passed away or the breadwinner passed away thanking you for, for doing it making sure that they had security um, whether it was a business partner um, or whether it was a spouse um, that now had to take over all the financial responsibilities that was a very nice business because you got those type of calls and a big difference from the stock brokerage business. Right. Patty, how about you? Um, I first experienced failure back about 30 years ago. It was early in my career and um, Knight Frank had made a spectacularly bad decision. It was our first European office, wholly owned by Knight Frank down in Marbella. We lost about half a million in the first, uh, first year. We didn't do a deal. I was sent down as the go-between. So I really saw it firsthand. And I think what I really learned from that, I've kept with me throughout the whole architecture of our international business. And, and the first lesson is that people are fundamental to the success of any business. It's so obvious, but it's so important. And not only the individuals, but actually the team selection and the dynamic of how they work together. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, that we did not have. And I could see that within the first week of arrival. Um, researching the market you're going into, um, particularly if, if it's a totally new one, make sure you do enough due diligence because there are local cultures to respect. Uh, there are local practices and at your cost, do you go against those? And we thought we could undercut the market, charge much lower fees. Certainly they were lower than we, uh, than we saw locally, but they were higher than we'd experienced in the UK, but it didn't work because the volume of transactions was so low. And we had to be fleet of foot. And we changed the structure of that. It uh, became an association. It was, in a way, the first association. And we learned that we didn't have to have one size fits all for the, every market we were going into. Mm -hmm. and, and we could find the best operator on the ground. And if the cultures were aligned and we believed in the same values, it would work. And actually, I like to think that Knight Frank Douglas Elliman and our strategic alliance is a prime example of that. You know, we are so aligned in what we do. And, uh, and the, the, the proof is there for, for all of us to see. Um, the interesting thing is you have to think on your feet as well. And the first deal I did was selling a house to the lady who was running the office. Um, it had been part of a portfolio and I convinced the vendor to break it up and sold her one of her houses to start with. Hmm. Have you always been in real estate? Or did you have another career prior? Yes, I trained. I trained in land, uh, land management, land economy, uh, but I've always been close to property. My father was in the Navy, in the Royal Navy for 35 years, and that's what I was going to do until I was about 16. Hmm. And then uh, I had elder brothers and they went into property and uh, I followed suit and ended up working in London for Knight Frank, my first job, where I've now been for 30 years and uh, got the bug of selling. Hmm. How about Scott? Any um, interesting mistakes that you've uh, somehow learned from that you could share with the viewers oh, today? Nothing today, Stephen. Oh. No. <laughs> I can name a few. Just kidding. <laughs> now, I, my first mistake was leaving real estate. I remember that um, I, I, it was 1990 and I lasted about six months and you couldn't get arrested then. There were like 15,000 listings and I was like, and we had, we worked on fax machines. So I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm going back to hotel management. But I think the, the fact that I tried it and I left it and then I came back and then I hit the, the lucky charm because I met Barbara Corcoran. So for me, leaving and coming back was um, just what I needed. And I was super young then. So I didn't, I didn't know really what, what was around the corner, but I got very lucky mm -hmm. and so, uh, Bowing out early was a benefit to me, and I came right back in four months. Right. How do you, um, you know, sort of manage your days? I mean, I know all of you. I have a, sort of a sense of what all of you do. Howard, I know you're you're not only involved in real estate, but you have other businesses that you're um, at Vector Group, where you're CEO. 
how do you sort of manage your time throughout the day? I think a lot of agents and, and maybe some of our staff members who are, who are listening in or watching today have a hard time knowing like what to do next or how to sort of um, block out time to, to, to focus. Um, do you have any sort of tricks around that, Howard? Do you want to start with that? I don't think there are any tricks. I mean, first of all, I will admit that I spend a great bulk of my time on Douglas Elm. Mm-hmm. And you can, when, when things are great, you spend a lot of time on it. When things are bad, you spend more time on it, more than a lot. And so, you know, we've been through that a number of times, going through a number of cycles. Um, so I don't, you know, uh, I, I, I think that, you know, certain, there's certain things, you know, like I, I started, when I started very early in Saturday, I had one basic rule. I would return every phone call every day because I knew how I would hate calling someone and not getting a return phone call. And when you're in a customer business, customer service business, I think that's very important. So what, so a few times over the years when it got to be too much, I changed a little bit. What I would do is I would call everyone, return the call, and I would say or leave a message, I'm sorry, I'm really tied up the rest of the day, but I will call you tomorrow and I'd make sure I call them the next day. So you have a little bit of flexibility in it. But I think that that is very important. Then the other thing is have great people around you. I mean, you know, you can't do everything yourself. And it goes from from a great broker having having a great admin um, and and a company having great, you know, people that support them, whether it's uh, uh, in sales positions or in uh, accounting positions. Um, it, look, accounting is, is very important. I mean, I don't know how anyone could really run a business if they can't read a balance sheet and a P&L statement. So, um, I, and I have, I do have good people in those areas. Uh, I'd say that I wish I started using them a lot earlier because mm-hmm. I found out how much we were missing um, once I put them you know, more into it. Uh, and I got lucky because they worked for me with another company that we uh, had a big ownership in, a stock brokerage company. And we lucky we sold it and closed two days before COVID, before the mm-hmm. shutdown. And and they they put up a lot of a lot of money. They paid a lot of money for the company. They paid like I think about a billion three, a billion four. But they put in equity. They borrowed a lot, but they put in equity of about three four hundred million dollars. Which uh, one of the guys from there told me today. Two days after they closed, that 400 million was wiped out. Wow, just completely wiped out because timing is everything. Yeah. yeah, so it's it's all time. But you but you need you need to have, you need to have good people around you. Very important, and yeah. that's what we have here with our team. So, right, Susan, how about you? Well, I couldn't agree more. It's all about the team that we have, who are incredible and delegating. Because there's no way that we could be running 30 billion dollars worth of projects if we didn't have dedicated teams who were highly organized. My day is really dictated by the projects, by the meetings, but I do find it important with my assistant to have some downtime during the day to do what just Howard said, see who's reaching out for the new business that while still maintaining your day-to-day business. So it it gets challenging, but um, our team is very responsible and it's really good to have the support behind you and stay organized. Hey Scott, what what are your opinions on the thirty minute meeting versus the hour long meeting? And <laughs> we have the choice now on Outlook. Yeah, what do, you, what do you tend towards? I I'm more the thirty minute meeting, uh, and I think now that we're in our ninth month of doing this, that we can we can do everything in in thirteen fourteen minutes, and then have time to to talk to each other. Today, I was on with a group, and we had a really great time closing out the meeting. We have an operational call every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and now we've got that down to 18 minutes. So I think it's important, and I think it's being respectful of people's time. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, I'm more of a 30-minute, and I don't like to have a a creative meeting after 3 3 o'clock in the afternoon because everyone's pretty pretty toasted by then. Well, Mm -hmm. not that way, but, you know, they're pretty wiped out. Burnt out, yeah. Yeah, burnt out. Yeah. Patty, how about you? Um, I know that you uh, balance work all over in, every, in probably 10 different time zones, <laughs> the way uh, the way Night Frank operates. Um, are you are you working from early in the morning till very late at night every day? Invariably, yes. Um, you've got to because you've got to give everybody the same attention. But I try and mix it up each day. So if there's an early call to do, do do them in one day and then don't do the late calls the same day if you can avoid it. 
I mean, my greatest challenge is probably that I'm still client facing to some extent during the day. And of course, clients, as Howard said, you have to deal with them as, as, as best you can. And, mm. and the trouble is that the expectation that we have given them of 24 seven always being available and the same to our teams, dare I say. And I think during COVID, you know, we have made ourselves as available to our teams as, as we have to, um, to our clients. And I think it's really important that particularly for teams and morale and mental health with people being at, um, at home, um, that you must keep to your appointments. Um, so don't be late as, as a manager um, because you need to f them to feel that you feel they're special. So I think that's very important. I think clear delegation uh, in everything that you do. Uh, and also dealing with those nutty items um, quickly. Don't procrastinate because they just uh, come and eat you up later on and, and catch up with you. But a very good assistant is the foundation actually of managing you. And I certainly need uh, that management and the diary and keeping calls from you, answering clients calls. Uh, uh, and then I think the other thing is preparation. I agree with Scott that you've got to keep meetings to the point, and I do like the idea of a 30-minute meeting. Sometimes I do get, get a bit carried away, but preparation for the difficult meetings as well. Mm -hmm. Actually read through the papers properly, have a proper agenda, and, uh, and then follow up so that then when you're picking up the next time, you know what you're following up on. It saves a huge amount of time. Right. Susan? I thought I answered that oh, You did it right. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Crack. Well, we'll start with you for the next question, actually, because I'm, I'm always curious, um, like what drives really successful people such as yourselves? Is it to make money? Is it to, um, you know, be at the top of your game? Like what drives each of you? Uh, what are your passions? Like, how do you, what, you've been doing this for so long, like what drives you every single day to get up and, and go back at it as, as well as you do? Well, thank you, Stephen. I have been at it for a long time. And I always say I get up every morning to know what I don't know and to face challenges. And I believe that anyone in this business has to have passion and enormous pride to get over those hurdles and challenges. Um, I'm very competitive in spirit. I'm the oldest of four girls. I'm also one who likes having the smarter you are, the better looking you are, come on down. I like having people who have the same creativity, passion, and perseverance, but you also need to have patience mm. and be open-minded and listen to people. But I, I like to win. I, I like the skill and the art of the game and getting the deal and, and putting together incredible teams. And I feel very fortunate at Elliman that some of my colleagues I've worked with for 10 years, some of them I've worked with for 20 years. And it really does make a difference, as Patty um, referred to, the chemistry and the dynamics of a team and how they work. Just as any professional you know, football team or basketball team, everyone plays a really significant role in being part of the success. And I can just have one little anecdote story. When I joined Element about 10 years ago, uh, three of our top agents were pitching a developer in Soho. And this developer I had worked with 30 years ago. And he's like, Susan, what's, what's up with Element? I mean, everybody's pitching against each other. I said, because they're independent contractors, they're all highly successful. But I called all of them and I said, guys, this is color war, okay? Let's get on the rope, let's pull it in together, let's fall on the floor, but we wanna win. And if we don't look like we're a team, and then when we fall down, we'll figure out who's going to do what. So two of the three agents got together and teamed up and we got it. But I really think that that is very um, part of the element DNA. We have incredibly high producing agents and individuals, but there's a culture that embraces that and supports that, evidenced by Howard Lorber at 5 a.m. in the morning. Um, so I think that's it, just getting up to win, to learn, and to, and to make a difference and feel proud about, wow, we worked on that building. Look how great that is. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, I, I hate the way that I hate this question, Scott, but what's your why every day when you get up? My why? What's your why? Yeah. Getting what's getting me out of bed? Yeah. Like what motivates you every day to kind of get up and give it your all? Well, I think you have to love what you're doing. And I do love what I'm doing. So that that makes it easier. Um, I think, though, we fill in where our agents need us. 
and we get into their heads. We know what they do well. We know what they do terribly. I think now in COVID, the why for me is like, get out of bed, be ready, because whenever the phone rings or you get texted, you know it's not going to be something that's frivolous or something that someone's complaining about, about another agent or you know, a deal or something. They need your help. So I think uh, you're sort of thinking like, like a triage in a way, but certainly not as, as dangerous. But uh, for me, that's what gets me out of bed because we're not rocket scientists. We know how to solve their problems. We've been there. I've been an agent. I've been on, you know, boots on the ground. So I know what they need. They need something immediately, usually, and you just have to be ready. So for me, it, it getting out of bed and, and um, seeing what's out there, the, what, what the landscape is of the day. I mean, real estate's a lot like theater. And if you've ever been in theater or performing arts or anything like that, it's, it's every day is a different show. Yeah. Or hospitality for that yeah. matter, right? Definitely hospitality. Yeah. yeah. Um, Howard, uh, what, what keeps you motivated every single day? What, what, I know well, you're very competitive, but. Yeah, you know, first of all, I love waking up. I hate night. I've mm. always, since I was a little kid, I'm afraid of the dark. I don't like night, okay? So I'm thrilled when I could jump up and it's light out or will be light shortly, you know, and, uh, mm. and, and daytime. I like daytime much more than I like nighttime. And also, you know, when you're, when you're, in a position that all of us are in, we have a lot of people that depend on us. Thousands of people that depend on us between employees, brokers, they may be independent contractors, but they're still depending on us. Um, and, and that's a big motivational factor. And that's a reason to get up and, 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 and it drives you to make sure that you're uh, ready to go do whatever you have to do to help them support their families. And, um, Make sure that you're giving them all the tools they need to uh, to do a good job for the clients and uh, do a good job for themselves and you know for their families. So I I I, I think you know it, to be, especially to be in management in these these type of companies you have to have that in your mind. You have to have that in your mind. These people depend on us. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And the last thing what bothered me more in the beginning of COVID was was and maybe it sounds self-serving, but it's true. It was not myself, you know, because I've been in business a while and, you know, I, I'm okay financially, but it, but it was what's going to happen to these people. And mm -hmm. so from my level, from the top level, it's, it's everyone that works for us, including the executives and down, mm -hmm. you know, and all the brokers. Yeah. So, um, that's a very motivating thing. You know, it, it, it's, that keeps you awake at night. Yeah. And, uh, I went through a period actually early on with the uh, COVID that I was waking up in the middle of the night with like terrible um, indigestion. And I know it wasn't my heart because I was like, uh, I was a saint of Westchester and my property was very hilly. I would be hiking and everything and I never got any pain, but they made me do, you know, heart stuff and it was all fine. And after they checked everything out, everything possible, okay, all sorts of tests, the uh, doctor said to me, well, the only thing it could be is stress. Mm. And I said to him, you know, I don't really feel that it's stress. And he says, well, in your position and in the middle of COVID, if you think you don't have stress, there's something yeah. wrong with it. And, and I guess because as things got better and, and it sort of went away, <laughs> you know, it went away. So it had stress that I didn't really know because I, I, didn't, I never really thought that I got that stressed out. But this was an unusual stress period because it was not just it was not just the sickness and having a chance of catching it and and uh, and being uh, out for a long time or even you know with all the deaths but it was also all the people that were depending on you to make a living mm. and uh i i guess you know while i didn't think about it wasn't i didn't think i thought about it but obviously i did and that's why i couldn't wait to get up in the morning because it always happened at night. I yeah. couldn't wait to get up in the morning and start the day because that was real life. Mm. And believe it or not, it always, no matter how bad it was, it was never quite as bad as what you're thinking about in the middle of the night in the dark, you know, when you're worried about everything. So, yeah, I, I know that I a lot of difficult decisions had to be made. And I know that everyone is very grateful for the way all of you helped 
navigate the company through COVID-19. I, I know that uh, is very much appreciated by everybody. That was very, very difficult. And I will say things that yeah. we had to do that no one wanted to have to do. Yeah. Um, everyone stepped up and did it. And um, yeah. It, we, we, and I, it would have been so much worse if we didn't yeah, do it. And did it in a very human and compassionate way, I, I think. So yeah. anyhow, um, Patty, how about you? Um, Look, I, I, I couldn't agree more with, with Howard, in fact, what everybody said. But, but I, think, I think just during lockdown, ringing people and actually with no particular agenda. Are you OK? And I think as a manager, you have to, you have to be sufficiently in touch with people that you know who might be having a rough time. And I think that's certainly one of the things that gets me out of bed every day is knowing that the people around you are happy and they're driven and they're motivated. And, and the same for our clients. You know, I, I, I'm lucky enough to still be client facing, as I said earlier, and actually um, being able to talk to them uh, as I did during COVID. And some clients who I've known for 25 years, some of them uh, extremely mature in their, in their business and, and some great advice. Uh, and I wanted to talk to as many of those as I could to hear what their thoughts were on what was going on in the world, because I had as many clients asking me what my opinion was. And uh, although I was reading the press as much as I could and I was listening to all the webinars going, uh, it's nothing like getting firsthand experience from people um, who've been at the coalface and making decisions. So I've always sought um, gr gr you know, gr great benefit from that. Um, I, I love the unknown. I love the unpredictable nature of our business. Um, I once had a very, um, very famous referral of a famous um, uh, American uh, lady artist, female artist. Mm -hmm. And um, I was going to get a call from her assistant one day. Uh, nothing ever happened. And I got home in the evening and I thought, oh, that's it. Uh, never mind. Uh, and then about 830 at night, the, the call goes. And this is uh, this voice the other end. It's Patty. And it was the principal herself on the phone. And it was this extraordinary icon. Uh, suddenly I was talking to her, I was just in my, I was probably almost in my dressing gown by that stage in my kitchen. And it was the most surreal experience. And that's one of the things I love about our business. And mm. I think when you've been in the business as long as we have, I do love this giving back. One of my uh, senior partners who's retired now, he said to me, Paddy, you know, when you get to 50 and we retire at 60, he said, the last 10 years of your life uh, and your career is all about giving back tonight, Frank. And I love seeing people succeed. I love helping people to develop their careers. And um, this week, you know, we had uh, the promotion of Mark Harvey, who runs the international department, really done brilliantly with the European mm -hmm. business. And he's been invited to be a proprietary partner from 1st of April next year. Oh, and I've worked so closely with him. And Great. that has given me the most enormous uh, amount of satisfaction. I, I can't tell you. What's addressing? I want to tell you one thing. I'm sure happy that here at Douglas Solomon, we don't have a mandatory retirement age. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> I don't know what most what of us do, do if that yeah. was the case. I thought he was going to say dressing gowns. Yeah. We, we, may, gown? we may review it anyway. <laughs> we'll see. Time is moving on. A dressing gown. Yeah, that's what you wear in the evening before you oh, go okay. to bed, you see, occasionally. Well, send us some pictures. Um, <laughs> So I have a couple of questions left, um, sort of one for, for each of our panelists. Um, and, and Scott, I thought I'd start with you. Um, you oversee a vast operational machine here at Element, um, diverse number of regions. Um, can you describe your style of leadership um, and what you consider to be best practices for some of the team leaders who might be watching today? Sure. I, for me, the most important thing is, is when I'm in a different region that we have offices in is that I'm, I'm still the visitor. So you can't go in with a big hammer and start bashing it up. You know, you have to really get to know each region, each manager, each personality, and I think each culture because it's real estate is very local and the people that are selling it are different as well. So for me, I like to, I observe a lot and I, you know, some say that I'm the velvet whip, but I'm not going to scream. I've never done that. Um, I think I did it to Alfred Renna once. If you're watching Alfred, I'm sorry, uh, years ago, and I still remember it. But I think, you know, uh, Barbara Corcoran and said to me once, the, 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 as a branch manager, the less they see of me, 
the better and the more I trust them. So I think you just have to trust your team. If you don't have a great team and if you don't hire people that are better than you, you're never going to have the best team because you're too worried about how great those people are and, and you won't hire them. I believe I want people that are better than me. You have to because it, to let them run uh, like California, which 3,000 miles away, Florida, it's, it's a 1,200 mile. I mean, we have great distances. So I think it's important to let each region run the way they are. And of course, if they're profitable and doing well and they have great agents, there's something that's going on that's right. Mm. So um, I'm not gonna walk in and be Mr. Big Stuff. That's just not my style. Mm. And um, yeah, one, one more quick question about networking, which I, how important is networking to the to a successful entrepreneur? And um, I know that one of the saddest things about this year was um, all the events that we had to cancel because of COVID-19, but um, hopefully they'll be back on track towards the end of next year. Uh, but how important is that to our business? Um, and what is it about Element that really sort of uh, kind of lends itself to, 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 good, to great networking? That for Susan? No, for you, Scott. Sorry, just oh, one. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. Yeah. A question. Oh, yeah. it's, it's hugely important. And, and as you know, we all have our our Zoom parties. And um, Heather Lyrica and Mary Beth and you and I talk about food. And and you know, you have to you have to remake them and redo them. And now we're all having these sort of Zoom parties, and uh, um, it's just different. You, we've been able to sort of pivot on this and, and make it special because I think the connectivity is what we've always talked about with Element that is the glue. That's why I came here. I didn't have that in my other company. It had completely dried and fell apart. So for me, it's about, um, even with Patty and Stacy the other day, we have a monthly that it was, we, we didn't get off the phone. We couldn't stop talking because, you know, we, we miss each other. We miss that, that, one-on-one -on -one and that in person, but we're making do and we know that this too shall pass. Mm. Yeah. You know? And uh, well, so, and Susan, um, I think being creative is a really important um, quality of any successful entrepreneur. And one thing that really amazes me about you and your team is the, the, the vast number of projects that you oversee and that you've overseen throughout your career how you continuously be creative. Like how do you find that creativity to to drive a project forward? And, and how can our agents do that in their own day-to-day -day business? Well, again, I believe it's passion that is the driving force. And when we look at a property, we try to listen a lot, understand what the developer wants at the end of the day. And of course, everybody wants the highest price per square foot or the highest sellout, whether it's an individual listing or a project. But I think there's also developers that are coming in from other states, other countries, looking to make a name for themselves. So it really is a very comprehensive way that we approach a project. And then we start envisioning who would want to live here and start identifying who are the demographics. Then we also have to say, okay, what is the competition? Who are our competitors as it relates to both the property and the players in the industry? How do we identify a differentiator or a niche to make this different. And then that's when our team of very dedicated, qualified, experienced professionals from the marketing, planning and design, research, every component gets very, very involved. And we really work very intricately together to come up with a concept. And then oftentimes many of these high profile projects have third party consultants that we at Douglas Elliman have to manage. Mm. Um, so it's a true collaboration of a lot of talking heads, sometimes a lot of egos, but I do believe it's you know getting the best architect, designers. And um, again, it's putting together a team that really wants to win. And I always say, I have an open door policy and it's not, as Scott said, my way or the highway. I think the best collaboration comes when people aren't afraid to speak their mind mm -hmm. and, and not afraid to take risks and, and make, make things different. Mm -hmm. don't, don't be afraid to, you know, make, make something special yeah. that's never been done before. Yeah. You, you, you use the word afraid. And actually, I had one more question for you about um, fear. And, you know, I've, I've heard you talk about paralysis by analysis before, um, how, do you, 
and I think a lot of agents are fearful around making those phone calls to those friends or associates about making decisions. Should they build a team or, or stay an individual? How, and anyone can really answer this, but like, how do you overcome the fear? Like, which many consider like a four letter word these days. Well, well it is and a couple of our top agents have written books on it. And I've read a couple of our agents books, which are fantastic. But I heard something in a soul cycle class two years ago. The instructor said, fear is the accelerated acceptance of failure. Hmm. And when you think about that, it truly is. Are you that fearful that you're afraid to fail? You must take chances. You have to have confidence, conviction. Be okay with making a mistake. Don't be so hard on yourself. And if you know you have integrity, professionalism, and a good reputation, you have to go for it. And you, you know, have the facts and don't be afraid. And, and if you are, pick up the phone, call your, your friend, your spouse, your executive manager, whoever it is, to talk through a strategy. But if you don't take the car out of park and put it into drive, you don't go anywhere. And I say that as a single mother for 24 years, you have to embrace change and take a risk or, or you just stay complacent. I love that. And that's okay. Just, just adding to that, I, yeah, know, I, I've told a lot of people, most people that I've worked with, uh, I have a very simple rule. I make mistakes every single day, but I don't make the same mistakes every single day. Mm -hmm. If you don't make mistakes, that means you're not trying or you're not trying enough. If you make mistakes and you keep making the same mistakes, then you really need help. <laughs> that, that's that's a bad thing but you have to try things you have to try new things hmm. that's how you become successful and if you have a fear that terrible word of making a mistake they really have no chance hmm. to be successful that's great thanks howard patty did you have anything to add to that look i, th I think it's it's so important to be open-minded and I, I think over the last over the last nine months, I think many brokers at the outset thought, oh, my God, there's going to be no market. What are we going to do? And I think I think it was like pressing the reset button. And I think people have really gone at the market with a real energy and determination that they're going to succeed and they're going to do the best for their clients and they're going to really make sure that buyers are getting the best possible service. So I think it's accentuated so many different of the great characteristics mm -hmm. of, of our salespeople and all around the world. I mean, from a global perspective, the connectivity between us has never been greater. Mm. You know, this ability to, that we can all jump on a webinar, um, have a Zoom call. We don't have to do that by getting on a plane anymore. Uh, that undoubtedly has brought people closer together. Mm. I mean, there is no doubt, uh, 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 you know, a, a little too many webinars perhaps, but, mm. but we're all learning, but we're getting closer. Mm. And I think if we're going to build an effective global network, and particularly with all of you um, in, in the States, that we have to be closer together. And, and, and then the other issue, I think, is this thing of trust, is trusting each other. 110% that when you pass a client to one of your colleagues that you know they're going to be properly looked after and you give that client that you're passing the confidence that they're going to be properly looked after and that you'll always be there if 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 then if if you're needed but mm -hmm. actually you trust the person you're working with mm -hmm. and and I think that really really has worked I think the other thing is we've all got to be chameleons we've all got to to cut our cloth to fix, to, to fit uh, the situation, to fit the person uh, that you're dealing with. And dare I say this thing about listening, you know, we have two ears, one mouth, and I think we all suffer occasionally from not listening enough. And it's a really basic skill, but my goodness, it's, it's never been more important. And particularly in managing people, I think you gain so much more by sitting back and listening, not talking over people. It's so easy to fall into that trap. And, and they have so much to give people around you, and particularly the young. Do the tenets of entrepreneurialism differ um, from country to country and territory to territory where my Frank works? I, I, Stephen, I, I don't think so. I, um, I, I feel the markets operate a little bit differently. And, you know, some of the markets, a little bit like you, are brokerage-based. They're not, you know, we don't employ everybody. Uh, but a lot of people, a lot, a lot of them we do. But I think once people work for Knight Frank, they feel part of the partnership. They feel part of this private business. 
and they feel that they've got this bedrock under them that gives them that great confidence. Um, so I think the skills are the same wherever you are in the world. Um, there might be some cultural differences. You've got to watch out for lost in translation. There's no doubt about that. And also, dare I say, you've got to, I always say it's so boring, but you've got to pick up the phone occasionally. Don't just send an email because emails and, and uh, you know, WhatsApps can be so easily misunderstood if you're not, if you're not careful. And I think we've got to keep in close touch and this, you know, the dynamic that we all seeing tonight on this call, looking at each other, just makes that so much more possible and helps to build that trust. Thanks. I have, I have one more question for each of you. Um, and I know we don't like to make predictions in real estate, but I would like each of you to share some of your hopes for 2021. Scott, do you want to start? Yeah, 2021, and I, I sort of echo what Howard was saying, is I think will be the next, the second year of the decade between 20 and 30, that will be probably one of the best years of our careers. I have a feeling, I don't know why, I just I just do, it's there. I think um, to have got, made it through this nine months the way we all have, mm -hmm. and to be so fortunate to be where we are, and, and there's so many unfortunate people, but yeah. we're here to help them now, I think, as a country and a, as a company. Uh, but for me, I think 2021 is, is going to be a, one of those years where you just don't stop talking about it and mm -hmm. i think we have it will have such greatness i just think we've we've earned it right susan um on predicting stability in the market and i'm speaking specifically about new york city i'm hopeful for a recovery of our city which always has been resilient through these challenging times and we're the city that never sleeps. We will always be attractive to people for whether it's pied a terre, purchasing for themselves, investments, and uh, indications thus far is that we're on the right road of recovery here and um, just hope for more favorable taxes. And then I really feel we'll see a lot more activity. Right. Howard? I, I think I mentioned it before uh, when we first started, but I, I'm very bullish on 2021. Um, I think that, uh, look, there could be some ups and downs, but I think uh, there'll be more money pumped into the economy. There'll be more uh, aid to those that are less fortunate than many of us are. Um, I think that they'll make sure that interest rates stay low, but with all the money coming in the economy, you'll start probably having some inflation, which as I said earlier, is good for real estate. Okay, um, so I think that everything is pointing in a direction, uh, absent some calamity or some another pandemic, God forbid. So I think that um, we're gonna we're gonna have I believe we're gonna have a very good 2021 in our business. Right, Patty. Um, I, I absolutely reflect what's been said, and I think inflation is going to be a, a really big driver. You know, we've seen historically through the Wealth Report how many of our ultra high net worths and high net worths want to continue to invest in property, and I think that appetite is there, well supported by all the factors Howe's just mentioned. You know, money has never been cheaper, not likely to change. And I think that people will invest more in property, and so as an asset class, uh, we're, we're going to see a shortage of supply. And I think that's going to be very encouraging for the markets. You know, we're predicting an increase of 4% in prime central London next year. And we feel pretty confident from where we can sit. Yes, there'll be some hiccups along the way. Yes, we've got Brexit to deal with. We've got some tax rises to deal with. But, but there's, there's much to be done. And the main thing is, if we get an effective rollout of a vaccination, we can get back on planes with confidence and travel safely. And we, most importantly, can deliver more buyers to America, which is obviously top of my agenda. And Stacey and I can come back and see you all, which yeah. is what we really, Can't really long, long to do and be yeah. with you be with you all because we are missing it like hell. Um, the other thing I should just add is it is the Knight Frank's 125th year anniversary next year. So wow. we look wow. forward to celebrating uh, that with Douglas Elliman. Yeah. Well, thank you everybody. Um, and thanks everyone who's watching for helping to make uh, the Element Town Hall such a mm -hmm. successful series this past year. Um, we wish all of you, your friends and families a safe and healthy and happy holiday season. We'll see you in 2021. And as is tradition, Howard, would you please close the meeting for us? Sure. Um, I'm going to read something by, from someone that probably no one ever heard of. He's a Japanese writer of books and stories. 
uh, Haruki Murakami. But I found it trying, trying to dig up something. I, I thought it would be interesting. And, and it's hard to believe he wrote this uh, probably about 30 years ago. Hmm. And once the storm is over, you won't remember how you made it through, how you managed to survive. You won't even be sure whether the storm is really over. But one thing is certain, when you come out of the storm, you won't be the same person who walked in. That's what the storm is all about. Mm. Thank you all for being great, great company, great people with us and we appreciate it. And stay safe. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you for everything.